This is Encounter on VOA. Here's Carol Castiel. Welcome to Encounter on the Voice of America. On this edition of the program, as we enter the new year, what were the defining domestic and foreign stories of 2021 and what issues will reverberate in 2022? Hello again, I'm Carol Castiel. At the close of 2021, we mourned the passing of Nobel Peace Laureate Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who fought against apartheid in South Africa and combated racism and injustice worldwide. In the United States, former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid died. Famous for his deal-making skills, the Democrat was considered a lion of the Senate. From the all-consuming coronavirus pandemic to the launch of the Webb Telescope, there is no shortage of game-changing events in 2021. The year opened with the jarring and horrific attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6 by supporters of Donald Trump who tried to overturn the result of the presidential election he lost in 2020. Soon after his inauguration as the 46th president of the United States, Joe Biden had to address the health and economic challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic with a major vaccine rollout and the passage of the $1.9 trillion COVID relief plan. Despite the efficacy of vaccines and the end of strict lockdowns by mid-year, the virulent Delta variant and later Omicron emerged, signaling that the normalcy the world craved was still elusive. Toward the end of the year, President Biden succeeded where his predecessor failed by passing a significant bipartisan infrastructure bill, a critical part of his legislative agenda. However, by December 31st, disagreements within the Democratic Party prevented the passage of the companion social spending package, the Build Back Better Act. In between, we saw mostly Republican states continue an assault on voting rights and abortion rights. Also, the trial and conviction of former police officer Derek Chauvin for the death of George Floyd, the acquittal of Kyle Rittenhouse and other trials produced interesting and mixed implications for the U.S. criminal justice system and policing. On the foreign policy front, we have yet to grasp the strategic and humanitarian consequences from the chaotic withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan as the Taliban took over the country by the end of August. In addition, we witnessed military coups in Mali and Myanmar, a devastating civil war in once stable Ethiopia, and a military coup in Sudan, a promising fledgling democracy met with fervent opposition by activists and condemnation by the West. In September, President Biden strengthened the Indo-Pacific alliance with the creation of AUKUS, a trilateral security pact between Australia, the United Kingdom, and the United States to combat China. Meantime, Russian President Vladimir Putin deployed thousands of troops along the border with Ukraine in an apparent attempt to prolong rather than solve the territorial disputes between their two countries. Well, for more on the major domestic and international stories of 2021, we turn to two top-notch reporters who are no strangers to these VOA microphones. Linda Feldman is the Washington Bureau Chief for the Christian Science Monitor, and Michael Williams. He is Washington correspondent for Project 10 TV Australia. And both panelists join me via Microsoft Teams. Welcome to the program. Hi, Carol. Thank you, Carol. Well, Linda... Let me start with you. You know, I sort of gave a bit of a laundry list there, what I thought were the highlights of the year. What are your takes on the big stories? What stands out for you in 2021? 
Well, I think any discussion of 2021 has to begin with what happened on January 6th. We're coming up on the first anniversary, but it was such a profoundly shocking and disturbing event that has had repercussions throughout this year. We have a select committee in Congress that is investigating what happened and why and looking into the involvement of President Trump in encouraging rioting, did he or not, and the people who were behind him and who he spoke with the day before the riot. That committee has made a lot of progress. They're revealing the roots of the riot. They've done 300 interviews, put out 50 subpoenas. They've reviewed 35,000 pages of documents. They seem to be circling closer to Donald Trump, but even if their finding is that he was really a major instigator of that I'm not sure that it will resolve anything. The committee is mostly Democrats and the two Republicans serving on it are strongly anti-Trump. And if they do come down hard on Donald Trump, I think he weaponizes that. I think he uses that potentially toward another run for the presidency. Yes, indeed. He still seems to be very popular, notwithstanding the fact that so much points to him as the instigator of this attack. And as you said, Linda, there are so many implications. This was one of the first events of 2021, and it's going to be reverberating for years to come. Michael, anything to add or subtract? When it comes to January 6th, I agree with Linda that that's one of the most compelling events in U.S. history of 2021 or any other year for anyone who was anywhere around it. I happened to be on Capitol Hill on that day, and I know that I personally still feel the effects. And throughout the nation, I think throughout the world, that is an event that caused sort of a seismic shift in how U.S. democracy is perceived. The old saying used to be that when the U.S. economy sneezes, the world gets a cold. And I think you can adjust that metaphor to say that the U.S. democracy is sick now, and the rest of the world is feeling the symptoms. A number of the uh, events that you mentioned where authoritarianism is on the rise throughout the world, I think are exacerbated by the events of January 6th, where we have unsettled populace coming to the defense of authoritarian leaders. And this is, as Linda said, even if the January 6th committee does its work, and it is doing its work by issuing subpoenas and bringing events to light that show the roots of how this whole thing happened. One of the worst things I think is exposing is the fact that elected officials seem to be complicit in not only allowing it to happen, but encouraging it to happen. And when you have that sort of, I would say, rot in your political system, it's not a political process that's necessarily going to cure it. I'm not sure what that solution is, but I think that political process is going to expose it. But how do you cure it? How do you reintegrate the two sides of America? That is unclear. So I do think that events of January 6th have obviously tremendous domestic implications for the United States, but there are global implications as well as to how democracy will fare in 2022 and beyond. Well, those are excellent points. Well, back to you, Linda Feldman. And sort of to put a bookend on this horrific event, as we saw 2021 come to a close, we saw perhaps the quintessential autocrat that is Russian President Vladimir Putin threatening its neighbor, Ukraine, having already annexed illegally Crimea and troops along the border, stirring up conflict in eastern Ukraine, uh, notwithstanding a conversation he and President Biden had at the end of the year. This is a very ominous development. Absolutely. And as you know, I've spent a lot of time in Russia back in the day when it was the Soviet Union. And I do know that 
if Putin were to decide to invade Ukraine, which I'm far from certain he will actually do, I think there might be initially a rally around the flag effect, get people excited in Russia, because they do see Ukraine as part of greater Russia and ancient Kievan Rus, sort of the birthplace of Russia. But when body bags start to come back to Russia of young men dying in another country, even if it's a country they believe is kind of theirs, I think that could quickly go south on Putin. And I'm far from certain that he will actually do this. This is a manufactured crisis. I think he's trying to make a point. I think he's trying to frighten NATO, frighten the United States, and intimidate Ukraine into not joining NATO. Ukraine very much wants to be affiliated with the West, whether formally or informally. If they were actually a member of NATO, they would get that kind of protection where an attack against one is an attack against all. But I think the greater possibility is that Ukraine is kind of becomes like Finland, where it's kind of a neutral territory between the two. That might be the best possible outcome, because if Putin wants Biden to give him assurances that Ukraine will not join NATO, that's not Biden's call. Now, Biden has said that he won't send American troops to that part of the world. We've just pulled out of Afghanistan in the messiest of fashions. He's not about to send large numbers of Americans overseas again anytime soon, but he has pledged more economic sanctions. And as much as that might sound kind of weak, American sanctions against Russia really did have a devastating impact on the country. And I think Putin must be thinking twice before he really actually goes ahead and uses those 70,000 troops on the border with Ukraine and sends them in there. Therefore, I'm not sure it happens, but we can't look away. We have to look at this very carefully. Indeed. And we can't look away, Michael. And I want to go back to something that you insinuated regarding the January 6th insurrection and the threat to democracy around the world that that poses as well. With regard to Russia, you know, we're seeing Vladimir Putin, he is the purveyor of disinformation, conspiracy theories. And we're seeing, unfortunately, this type of dissemination of conspiracy theories, lies and disinformation in this country, right? A democracy, which we risk losing. And so with that, of course, he's constantly saying, you know, he's massing troops along the border. He feels threatened. Really, it's the other way around. I mean, he is threatening Ukraine and the West. Your take on Russia. I think we all sort of look back with fondness on the uh, eight days, the 80s and 90s, when we thought that capitalism was the cure for this type of aggressive authoritarianism. And we know now that just isn't the case. Recent polls with the the last several years have shown that a great majority of Russians prefer a return to the Soviet system over the system that they currently have. And that I believe Stalin is polling even more popular than Putin. This idea that uncertain times create this desire for people to go to someone who can offer certainty and strongman leaders offer just that, a sense of certainty, not freedom, not advancement, but certainty. And that seems to be what people are craving right now. And I agree with Linda that I think what Putin mostly is doing is testing. He's testing the West. He's testing the United States because the West is in its its own period of uncertainty about what it can do, what it can rally its citizens to do, what it can actually use its military strength for. Having built all this military strength in the post-war era, how do you actually use it to enforce a sense of order, much less justice or any type of fairness that you would want to see in the world? How do you do that? Putin can sense that. He senses weakness and uncertainty like a wolf. And, you know, going forward, you know, into this year, you're going to see the same thing with China. I think there's a real parallel, although you don't see the amassing of troops necessarily against Taiwan. There's an even louder drumbeat than ever 
for China about Taiwan. And there's this testing of Western resolve of China's desire to reclaim this part of itself as it sees. This rightfully is a part of China. Russia feels the same way about Ukraine. So both of these powers are going to be testing, probing for weakness, and then making decisions based on the type of resolve that the West shows. It's a very, very difficult balancing act that the Biden administration and all the Western powers have to walk at this time with the uncertainty that's brought on by things like COVID-19 and the pandemic and other economic pressures that come to bear. It makes it even more difficult of a line to walk. We'll have more in just a moment. But first, you're listening to Encounter on The Voice of America. Our guests are Linda Feldman. She's Washington Bureau Chief for the Christian Science Monitor and Michael Williams, from whom you just heard, Washington correspondent for Project 10 TV Australia. And they join me via Microsoft Teams. We're discussing the top stories of 2021, many of which will continue to be front and center in 2022. This is a reminder that our Encounter podcast is available on our website at voanews.com encounter. You may also follow us on Twitter or connect with us on Facebook at Carol Castiel VOA. But here's a shout out to a new Twitter follower, Alfred Tunga from Turkey. As always, if you want to hear your name and home country on the air, please send an email to encounter at voanews.com or like us and leave a comment on our Facebook page. So back to you, uh, Linda Feldman. Along the same theme of threats to democracy here at home and abroad, Michael mentioned the threat also from China. China is asserting itself like never before. And as I mentioned in my introduction, we saw the creation of AUKUS, that trilateral deal between Australia, the UK and the United States, primarily to deter Chinese aggression in the Indo-Pacific. How do you see that as a development you know, which is important or not in 2021. To me, it was an extraordinary development in that it was so badly handled. In September, when President Biden decided to provide nuclear-powered submarines to Australia, and then Australia canceled a $66 billion agreement to purchase French conventionally-powered submarines, they only told the French hours before that this was going to happen. And we had the unprecedented circumstance of France withdrawing its ambassador to the U.S. and summoning him home. France is our oldest ally. This has never happened before. And you just have to wonder, we're in the first year of the Biden presidency. Joe Biden promised to bring his A-game and the A-list team of advisors to the table and to the task. And you have to just wonder, how could this have possibly happened? Seriously, even if that was the right decision to create this new alliance to fight China, I'm almost speechless. <laughs> yes, no, that's a very good point. I'm glad you brought that up, Michael, because as Linda said, it was a diplomatic disaster, which was papered over afterwards. But how do you see it from the Australian perspective, since you're working for Australia TV? Well, I think for Australia, it sort of moves them potentially into the big leagues. I mean, there are currently, I believe, seven countries that have nuclear-powered submarines, and Australia would be the eighth. Now, given the complexity of this technology and working it into a current operating military, you're not likely to see a nuclear-powered Australian sub for another 20 years. That being said, it still moves 
Australia into being a significant player when it comes to blunting Chinese influence in the Pacific. And this is what the deal was all about. And I agree with Linda. It was so incredibly poorly handled. I don't know if it's an international reference, but it reminds me of season one of The West Wing, where you have this White House that has all good intentions and just absolute chaos and no sense of communication. You would think that, again, Biden, with the years of experience that he has and so many people that he brought into his team with the level of competency, you would see something different. That being said, I think the result was the right thing to do because left unchecked, Chinese influence will grow and it will, I think, would grow to the point where conflict would be inevitable. So it was the right thing to do but almost certainly the wrong way to do it. Hopefully any type of deal like this can be handled in a much less chaotic fashion than AUKUS was handled. Exactly. Well, speaking of chaotic, another issue that comes to mind is the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. It might have been the right thing to do, maybe at the wrong time. That's up for discussion, Linda Feldman, but it was certainly chaotic and others Mm -hmm. would even describe it in less charitable terms. Mm -hmm. It was an imperative for Biden domestically. He promised that we would withdraw at the same time. He was following up on a very flawed deal that the Trump administration had entered into with the Taliban, leaving out the Afghan government, setting artificial deadlines. How will that U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan reverberate in 2022? Well, it made Joe Biden look weak and incompetent, and that is not a good look on the world stage, whether you're dealing with Afghanistan itself or Russia or China or any other part of the world. I mean, even in the Sahel region of Africa, you're seeing these insurgencies, Islamic insurgencies, that analysts believe are in part inspired by the success of the Taliban in Afghanistan to get the United States to finally leave and within hours, it seemed, to take over the country. So the messy withdrawal from Afghanistan was tragic in and of itself, lost lives. Afghans who had loyally served American troops left behind. I mean, many got out. There's no doubt about that and are being resettled in the West and other countries. But the tragedy of Afghanistan continues both in the country and in terms of the damage to the American image around the world. So over to you, Michael, for anything to add or subtract with regard to the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And I do want to thank Linda for bringing up the fact that, unfortunately, the so-called victory of the Taliban has, in fact, inspired other Islamist groups, as she said, in the Sahel. And we're seeing that in Mali, in Niger, in Burkina Faso. So it's not as if, you know, the threat is over, even if our troops are back home. It's not, Carol. And when I look at the withdrawal from Afghanistan, I see two failures. One, while understanding the desire of the administration to sort of rip the Band-Aid off and say, this is something that we want to get behind us in our administration because we have so many things to do. That being said, The organization of it, I think, was kind of a catastrophe that so many people were left out of the loop. Again, that communication thing, how certain people could not be aware, how certain people could not have been evacuated first, how you couldn't make marginal, almost meaningless extensions on certain time deadlines just to make sure that things were done in an organized and even humane fashion. But the other big failure that I saw was the intelligence failure, because when you look at how quickly the Taliban was able to regain ground and just absolutely overwhelm the Afghan army that had been coached by over a decade by the U.S. and Western powers. Intelligence estimates said that that was impossible. And it was just stunning to me how wrong the intelligence was. The idea that we could have been so wrong 
and our intelligence estimates of what the Taliban was capable of leads me to want to have an examination of intelligence for other hotspots. Are we that drastically wrong on other issues and in other places? Well, that's a good point. And of course, a topic for another program. But, you know, there's a lot of politics involved with the timing of the decision. And as I said earlier, the very flawed agreement that the Trump administration made, but the Biden administration didn't necessarily have to follow through on. Again, a topic for another program. Back to you, Linda Feldman. We're coming to the close of the show. There's so many other things we haven't mentioned. Does anything else, including COVID, the pandemic that never goes away, that you'd like to mention? This has been a pretty downbeat show, so I'm thinking maybe we need to highlight some of the successes of the year. I'm still amazed at how quickly the COVID vaccines were developed and how effective they are. I know that you can still get COVID if you have the vaccine, but it allowed for at least a period, some return to normality in life, that we could go out, we could go to concerts, people can go on cruises again, we can travel. And I think that's a real testament to American ingenuity. And even, and I have to give a shout out to Donald Trump, he did Operation Warp Speed, and I don't know anybody who thinks that was a bad idea to put American money into the development by private companies of vaccines. That's point number one. I also have to point out that the Congress did pass some very important legislation. You did mention the American Rescue Plan, nearly $2 trillion of economic stimulus that were really a lifeline to a lot of Americans. And the infrastructure bill, infrastructure week had become a standing joke in Washington. Every president, Donald Trump, Barack Obama, everybody wanted an infrastructure bill. Joe Biden finally passed it. And that's a good thing because anybody who travels or visits this country sees that our roads and bridges and our broadband, our water supply all need help. And over to you, Michael Williams. Do you have any bright spots you want to highlight or underreported stories you want to mention? Yeah, yes, a bright spot definitely for 2021 is the development of the COVID vaccines. And I'd love to give Donald Trump a shout out for that, but I have to turn it into a golf clap because of his politicization of those same COVID vaccines that were developed and put out there. And you have people who are resistant to it all over the world, which only prolongs the pandemic. I do think that definitely there was progress with the Biden administration and getting an infrastructure bill passed and other things. But I want to point out the results of the uh, trials of Derek Chauvin, the trial with Ahmaud Arbery, the convictions, the Kim Potter conviction. These are racially motivated, racially charged trials that happened in the United States. And I consider them good news because it shows that, indeed, the arc of the universe does bend towards justice, however slowly. And those represent justice that is happening within the United States. What strikes me about 2021 going into 2022 is how many of the stories will remain from 2021 crossing over into 2022. When you have the idea of this battle between those who want to govern versus those who want to rule. I think you see that within the Republicans and the Democrats. It seems so the Democrats struggle to govern. The Republicans are fighting just to rule rather than govern. You have that in different countries, that same thing. People want to rule rather than govern. I think another big story for 2022 will be uh, Roe versus Wade, where we get the next session of the Supreme Court. Um, that is a longstanding precedent that says that there is a woman's right to choose when it comes to abortion. A very, very conservative court is going to take up challenges to that. And that long-standing ruling may actually fall, which is something I did not think I would see in my lifetime, but it certainly looks like a possibility going forward. I think that another story that we need to look at, we don't talk much because there's so much around us, is the environment. We've had a number of catastrophic environmental events that are due to climate change, and will 2022 
too, see the world on its own decide to take on this challenge in a meaningful and coordinated and sustained effort to beat back climate change? Or will we finally get to that catastrophic event that really changes our mind for us? Will we accept the challenge before the challenge is thrust upon us? Taking the prerogative of moderator, I'll just mention Sudan, very distressed by the military coup there after the democracy protests and after having an agreement between the civilians and the military to see that the military felt weak and threatened. But yet we're seeing such resilience and hope among the democracy protesters, many of whom are women. So let's hope that that will continue in 2022. And I'm afraid that's all the time we have on this Top Stories edition of Encounter. I'd like to thank my guests, Linda Feldman. She's Washington Bureau Chief for the Christian Science Monitor and Michael Williams, Washington Correspondent for Project 10 TV Australia. And I wish you and our entire global audience a healthy and peaceful new year. Encounter was produced in Washington with technical assistance from Rick Pantaleo. I'm Carol Castiel. Join me again next week for another Encounter on the Voice of America. We'll be right back. 